0: Ten, nine, eight,
1: seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Game over. Welcome to Game Over, Montreal, where the game ends before it starts. Unfortunately, again, but you know what? It's a hype show because you know what? It was an above-season average offensive performance for the Montreal Canadiens. They scored a goal. Tonight, we are joined by Sarah Sivian and Arun Srinivasan, and it's going to be an awesome show. I'm going to welcome them in right now. How's it going? Sarah's got some fashion going here.
0: Um, I was playing around with the Zoom filters, and this popped up, and I was like, I I got to do this. I'm Depressed that I'm not in Montreal right now because Montreal is an amazing city, and obviously that was a interesting game, but I'm in Raleigh. Um, I'm, I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. Got to watch uh, my boy KK score. That was always going to happen. Yeah. I think everybody knew going into this game he was going to score his first of the season.
0: Yep, and that was like a joke, but it actually happened. I was actually <laughs> watching the game with the Hurricane social media like people because I'm writing a story about that, but they said the hockey gods really do shine upon us and <laughs> they meant it. So they got it easy.
1: Arun, how are you doing, Matt? How did you enjoy the game?
2: Um I really enjoyed it. The view from Toronto is uh, pretty great. Uh, <laughs> and not to make, not to make everything but the Leafs, but one time shout out to Frederick Anderson. Uh, it's really nice to see him get a change of scenery in Carolina. Um, not really, I guess, under the pressure cooker. You know, October, Frederick Anderson sees it to exist. He was great tonight when he needed to be. Um, you know, obviously, nothing not close to being the main takeaway tonight, but uh, I really enjoyed that part of it. It was nice to see Freddie relaxed out there. Good uh, rebound control, made a hell of a save in the third. So, yeah, that, that was nice to see it tonight. Really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, he was a difference maker tonight. I don't think that uh, we, we actually got a question from the Discord, I believe. Asking if Freddie was the difference or like the main reason the Hurricanes won tonight. I don't think he was the main reason, but he was definitely a reason, right? Like the, the Canadians had he, some pushback in the second half of that game, and Anderson did not give them much.
0: He's been a reason um, for the past few games, and it's kind of like you don't want to play into cliches, right? Where like, oh, he has no pressure in Carolina now, but it actually does seem like that's happening. Like he's been, he's never been great in October, and it's kind of, changed and it's he hasn't had much pressure it kind of all adds up
1: right somebody's asking will Andrew someday be able to cover a Habs win probably not we'll see we're, we're on pace for 0 for 82 they can't even get an overtime win you know like or an overtime game like it's pretty it's a pretty bad start to the season but you know what it doesn't matter because there's lots of stuff to talk about and I think the main takeaway from this game for me was how fragile they are and which makes sense Anytime a team's in a pretty devastating losing streak. But they looked pretty strong to start the game off, and then Brennan Gallagher scored that goal, which got taken back for goalie interference, which I think we could probably go through why that goal was taken down for goaltender interference in a second here. But I think that just the main takeaway from that whole situation is that as soon as that happened, they just sat by and let the first period happen, and Carolina absolutely took advantage of it and pounded them and i think the score could have been a lot worse and obviously things turned on them pretty quickly in the second period and they got the goals that they probably were owed in the first period but this team anytime something doesn't go their way it takes them a long time to dig out of it so i I guess you could say if you're looking for a really positive spin is that they eventually did kind of dig themselves out of it in terms of how they played they did Get things going in the second half of that game but it took them like almost 30 minutes to start playing hard again after that goal was disallowed
2: yeah i tend to agree i mean you know it was a weak goaltender interference penalty to be clear um, you know and Freddie is not like he didn't appeal for goaltender interference either i thought that was particularly telling you know uh, he can be a demonstrative goaltender especially when he's pissed um where things are called it didn't go his way, but he didn't make an appeal to referee. So I thought, you know, the fact that he got ruled up not great. But yeah, to your point, yeah, there seemed to be a, a sort of a belated lack of urgency from the Canadian hands tonight, um, and they were sort of just letting—I mean, not letting. The Hurricanes are a great offensive team, but they were a lot of getting a lot of crossing passes whenever they wanted. Ter- Ter- in particularly, was just getting whatever he wanted for the first half of the game. Just. And it seemed like the defenseman who was supposed to pick up the center, whether it's David Savard, David Savard was the main golfer tonight, I thought, but they weren't picking up Carolina's forwards, especially when they're making lateral passes in the opposite zone. Um, it felt really easy for the Hurricanes tonight uh, and not a whole lot of defensive cohesion or pressure, especially after the Gallagher uh, goals is led.
1: Yeah, so let's, let's talk about that goaltender interference call because I think there's <clears> a lot of people who are upset about it and like if it was me making the rules that probably would have been a goal but just the way that the rule is structured it makes a lot more sense and actually you know who explained it to me ironically was Eric Tolsky in DMs like last year at the beginning of last year when I like said all oh, that shouldn't be goaltender interference and yeah. he's like this is how it works it, it'll make sense if you look at it this way and this way only and it's like they look at two things is the player on the opposing team in front of the net in the crease at any point and is there contact with the goaltender inside that blue paint? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if it's on purpose doesn't matter if the goaltender initiated the contact, if you're in the blue paint and you touch the goalie and it has if it happens anywhere close to when the goal is scored, they're going to call it back now I think that like, obviously Gallagher like the reason why it happened was he screened it right? The interference that happened was his butt kind of touched Anderson's glove a little bit but that, the goaltender has the right to be anywhere in that blue paint area, right? Like that's their first, uh, that's who has the right to be there first, it's their right of way to put it in like terms of traffic, right? So anytime that you're in there, and even if you don't make contact, they make contact, you're preventing them from getting to a place that they own. And Gallagher was obviously very feisty about it. He uh, complained about it in between periods. He's probably going to get fined because he was like 9 out of 10 people said that would be a goal but there's always some guy in Toronto who says it isn't it's like yeah Brendan that's kind of how the rules work it's the guy in Toronto that makes the call but uh, as much as it can be frustrating and it may seem backwards that rule is called that way and you just got to kind of live with it
0: first of all I wish the NHL did a better job at explaining what these rules are I feel like a lot of times people like Eric Tolsky will have to swoop in and explain things and they explain them so well. And it's like, why can't the NHL, they made this rule. Why don't they explain it? Um, I thought that was so soft and I wish that wasn't the rule. But again, people like Eric Tolsky explain why that is the rule. I wish that wasn't the rule. I'll just say that. And I'll also say that Rod Brindamore, there's been maybe one time, yes, there was one time in his career where he did a, a challenge and it didn't end up like overturning anything. So whenever he actually challenges, I feel like it's going to be in his favor. So when I saw that, I'm like, I don't see how you could challenge, but he's doing it. So it's going to be the, the rule. And because he has people like Eric Tolski explaining it to him and that's the rule. I don't like the rule, but here we are.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. We can argue about whether the rule should be what it is, and I think a lot of people, like, would agree that the spirit of the rule is to stop, like, blatant interference on a goaltender, right? Where you're purposely knocking them off their tracks to create soft. a situation where it, it goes in. Yeah, it was, it was soft, but it was, like, completely explainable by the way that the rule yeah. is called. Yeah. So, Yeah. The right call in the context of the rule book, the wrong call in the context of the game, right?
0: But yeah, Montreal should have maybe responded a little better on the ice after that. It felt like the momentum in the first was still theirs for the taking, and they didn't really take it.
1: Yeah, and that's where you know a team as strong as the Hurricanes becomes dangerous, right? Because they see that weakness and. Anytime the Canadians let up a little bit, it was like wave after wave of dangerous chance for the Hurricanes. And they're a team that is not hesitant to shoot from the outside, but the Canadians were giving them, as Arun pointed out, passes through the middle like crazy. Like both of the first two goals, for a team this competent defensively, neither of those passes should have gone through. I mean, maybe you can forgive the Aho goal because it's a power play goal, right? So the Hurricanes were effectively opening up that middle of the ice and then sending that pass cross Priest. But the Sveshnikov goal, I mean, first of all, absolutely beautiful snipe by Sveshnikov. He had almost nothing to shoot at, and he almost, like, uh, banked off of Allen's shoulder and in. He is ridiculous.
0: He is something else. He's going to be really special. I'm excited. He's, like, one of those guys where you get excited because you get to watch their career. Like, he will do that. He does those snipes out of nowhere, right, where it's, like, that goal shouldn't have happened, but it's kind of, like, he finds these weird angles, like, behind the
1: net, so. Yeah, and yeah. you know, as much as uh, you let in four, or I mean, only three goals on the goalie, but uh, again, Jake Allen, I thought was really strong.
2: I guess so. I, I mean, I, I didn't really, to be honest, I'm not to seem completely indifferent. I don't think he just necessarily made a difference on the game. Um, I think you guys hit it, just not, not to go backwards all too much, but I think you and Sarah uh, hit it right on the head with Sveshnikov. Like, he had all day with that puck, and yet he scored from an angle that maybe him and a handful of guys can make. Um, I'll certainly defer to Sarah on everything her games here, but yeah, it is sort of cool to see this portrait of a star. That's really seems to grow every single year. He's only what, like 22 years old, um, which is just crazy. And, but yeah, from the side angle, like he had all day there and yet, you know, it was such an impressive finish that you sort of discard the fact that he had like four seconds to get any shot he wanted there so
0: yeah sometimes i i'm failing at my job because i don't know what to ask him anymore i'm like so were you born like this like because what can you like what did you see on this shot like last time in nashville i was literally like so did you like try to cultivate this shot growing up or did you just like always i don't know, like we were always so good it's very hard to ask him questions and he's so he's so sweet like he's he doesn't know this is happening all around him. And he's like, he has such a humble upbringing where it's kind of like, all right, <laughs> you're about to become a superstar and you don't even know it.
1: <laughs> Apparently the her- the hurricanes I'm being told made a website yeah. called Did the Habs Lose?
0: Yeah, um, I was sitting next to them while I did that. I wasn't supposed to say anything. And then they oh also <laughs> record. They, yeah, they did this a few periods ago at the first goal. And then they also... Owned the website now. Um, did the Habs win? So, and they have a few variants of this website that they created just in case anybody tried to clap back. So they were prepared for this. Um, and yes, this this website will lead you to a shirt that they created.
1: Yes, with a shirt sale for both Kokonami and Aho. And I'm gonna I'm gonna show the screen here because it's pretty funny. So it's did the Habs Great. lose? And then you scroll down. <laughs> And it's got shirts that you can buy, Kokonami and Aho. That is uh, an exceptional level of bitterness that I have to applaud them for because I love the completely off the wall, some would say unprofessional trolling. But you know what? The league needs some personality like that. And congrats to the Hurricanes for beating that dead horse consistently <laughs> because it's yeah, funny. Well,
0: that's what I kind of sat with them to talk about I'm like all right like is this a dead horse or like why do you like all right but they said we're doing this for our fans and when it starts being boring or a dead horse for our fans then we will stop like we don't care about anybody else's fans and I'm like okay okay I see both sides like I see how this is a dead horse from like I am in the media and I'm like all right we get it but at the same time I see that they're serving their fans and it was kind of an unbelievable game that happened where our host scores twice me scores it's like uh can you blame them <laughs> no
1: <laughs> yeah you you got to go deep into it when when the game turns out so perfectly for exactly yeah. you know the the bitter storylines right and i think that if you look at this game overall for the montreal canadians it's got to feel like a huge wasted opportunity because Yes, their power play eventually did score. Tyler Foley got that goal and broke the shutout bid. But the Carolina Hurricanes gave them a a real chance to get in here and and win this game through taking so many penalties. Like They were really undisciplined tonight. And unfortunately for the Canadians, they couldn't manufacture anything on the power play outside of that one goal, which you could say that... uh, congrats to breaking the power play slump, but I don't think that power play is fixed at all. And, and you look at what they do on the power play compared to what Carolina does. And I know we had Chris Watkins on the show a couple of games ago, and he was talking about something the other day that really caught my eye, that he's done like work studying power plays, right? And power plays that just abandon the idea of a net front presence convert at a 4% higher rate in the NHL than power plays that like dedicate someone to stand in front of the net and try to tip in pucks. And like, yes, Tyler Toffoli scored his goal in front of the net, but you have to look at all of the other power plays the Canadians have had so far this season and the complete lack of success. And that power play, it happened quickly, that play that developed, but that power play overall was not very strong. I mean, at one point, three different players couldn't strip the puck from Jordan Stahl in their own end. And we should also shout out Jordan Stahl. He was a killer tonight.
2: Jordan Stahl was incredible tonight. Like, he I – f- I found the – I mean, DeFoley goal fascinating because it, it almost seemed um, almost, like, too neat. And, but right before De Foley scores, Jordan Stahl takes off of the puck, surveys, uh, you know, the offensive zone, has a one-on-three, and then almost, like, cuts back in front and scored like, a spectacular goal there. So – I mean, I thought at that point that was sort of emblematic of how the game had gone overall. Jordan Stahl was just an absolute monster tonight and shut down sort of a a Canadian power play that had no inventiveness. Like, it just, I I don't know. Um, To me, also, there's a second point. Maybe maybe I should throw it back to you, Andrew, but is it a personnel thing? Like, why is Mike Hoffman getting more power play time than Cole Caulfield? That one's the surprising one for me. But but Jordan (sighs) Stahl, I mean, yeah, again, like he totally shut down sort of... Every sort of like not well thought out power play sequence, like right before Stahl picked off the puck and then Tafoli scores scores. next sequence, there's one sequence before where they're like, they were so casual, you know, Brendan Gallagher goes for a bit of a lap and then they finally set it up. But there was just like no, yeah, no intentionality, no direction to the Canadian power play. I don't know if Tufoli goal was sort of just like a bad break for the Hurricanes, frankly, uh, just a bit of a broken play. But yeah, is it, is it a personnel thing? Is it just like, you know, the Chris Watkins point is fascinating, and I would love to see, to start to explore that more, but what is it? They just seem disorganized, disjointed, and I think um, maybe, maybe some of that's on Dominique Ducharme, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, like, it kind of brings into another question that we had from the viewers, and it was, like, if there's a coaching change this season, is there any reason to believe that they'll be much different than if they move on from Ducharme? And no, not really, because... A lot of the issues that were present under Claude Julien are still present now. So I think the organizational philosophy plays in a lot here, uh, both in terms of how their power play functions and how they're coached. The, the guys that they're going to hire are still going to do the things that they the organization wants them to do, right? They're going to still want them to coach in a similar style. The, the roster is built to play a certain style. I would say that roster construction has a lot of, to do with why they are where they are. But in terms of like the power play specifically, I don't think that that's necessarily a roster problem. They have enough talent to run a competent power play. I mean, the Buffalo Sabres can run a competent power play, you know, talent in the like depth of talent or like high end talent doesn't necessarily always make a high end power play unless it's like McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. you know, like you look at Toronto last year, they have absolute murderers on the power play. And the second half of last season they could not score and that comes down to coaching Uh, in my opinion at even strength scoring comes from individual talent game breaking plays creating two-on-one or odd man situations not necessarily breaks but in space right you want to outnumber your opponents in space by either beating them with passes or uh, a stick move something like that or beating them on the four check causing a turnover but on the power play it's systemic and sometimes you can be missing the player that you need to make a power play function properly, but I don't think the Canadians are missing that player right now. And, you know, we talk about uh, Mike Hoffman getting more time than Cole Caulfield. At least it is Mike Hoffman getting that, you know, he's a guy who can shoot. And I think that you look at Caulfield, he has kind of struggled to start the year. He's been bobbling the puck a lot, a lot in this game. You know, he struggled with uh holding to the puck, uh, turning it over and. Like tough spaces. Hoffman did too, to be to be fair. But Hoffman is a veteran, right? So the Canadians probably gave him a little bit more leeway. And Caulfield, I thought, started to come alive last game. So I'm surprised that they didn't ride him a little bit more. But he is still kind of losing a lot of battles, not really looking that dynamic at times. He's struggling with his confidence a little bit.
0: So play him more. Oh, we yeah. don't want like the Coconami situation. I just see this playing out again. I get like, and then you got Moore putting him on the first line, and everyone's like, oh, like the Habs fans in my mentions are like, oh, he played only twelve minutes last night. He's a minus two. I'm like, the Canes won. Rock Brindamore No, it was more than anybody i feel like i've ever talked to how to handle kind of younger guys i think it's because like he coaches his son in youth and he's such a humble guy i don't know if people notice that but like he is just like so in tune with millennials and gen z which you wouldn't expect from like rob the bod but like he he just is for some reason and he knows how to get through to them and it's kind of like you'd think he's a hard ass but he is softer with these younger guys and he's just kind of like trying to figure out who they are and where they fit and like what makes sense and i just i don't want this to happen with caulfield and we're being really dramatic after like a few games right like i just hope that the habs have a plan you know like i hope there's a plan of what they're doing not just like game by game let's see like i hope that they are investing in caulfield's future because he has a great bright future
1: yeah and this is kind of an issue that we've covered several times like basically every show is that the canadians don't really have much of a plan and their their track record with player development is very poor very very poor and like i I don't know if i've said it on the show but i've said it like to friends of mine that like if cole caulfield doesn't develop into a consistent 30 goal scorer it's on the organization like all the talent in the world is there if he doesn't turn into that that's them Mm -hmm. wrecking something you know When he came into the league, it was obvious what he could do. There are other aspects of his game that definitely need to be improved. Uh, You know, being able to forecheck, keep the puck along the walls a little bit better, not turn it over in awful spaces, but those are young player problems, right? You get better at them by getting a little bit stronger and having more reps. All the talent that he needs to score a goal is already in those fingertips, In the wrist, in the shoulders, in the body position, in the instincts. You can see it all right away. So if it gets to the point where he's second-guessing what he should be doing with the puck or where he should be going without the puck in the offensive zone, that's on coaching. That's on bad managing. And I hope that we don't get there because he's such an exciting player to watch. But you can see what's happened to other players in this organization who have that offensive spark but maybe aren't the most amazing defensively. And you, you can see the, the the train tracks, right? And he's got to get off those train tracks. Yeah,
2: not to belabor the point, but yeah, again, yeah, it has to be on the Canadians if he doesn't develop. Just because, like, his pedigree even before he got to the NHL. I mean, he scored so prolifically for the U.S. national under-18 team and at every international competition. He was just putting up numbers that were eye-popping. And then, and I think, you know, to that point, too, he sort of showed, I mean, I guess, you know, it may be... A small sample, of course, but he sort of was coming into his own at the end of last year, especially during the playoffs, where the Canadians were kind of like, Look, you and Nick Suzuki are sort of the only guys who are sort of can drive the play once they get into the offensive zone. And they sort of just, despite playing a counter attacking style of hockey, it was like Coffield and Suzuki were like sort of given a little bit of, um, I guess uh, yeah, like like freedom to sort of create and play to their strengths a little bit, and, and you could see him sort of open up. So um, certainly hope his uh, development doesn't get stunted with the Canadians. I mean, again, that seems a little bit reactionary to to a you know five game sample to start the season, but yeah. Uh, I guess to echo to both your points, it would be a shame to see uh, what a promising start his career sort of stunted.
1: Yeah, and i mean i don't think we're saying that it's a, a done deal that the canadians are going to ruin cole caulfield right like yeah. at the same time reactionary uh emotional reactions are ha- what happens when a team starts zero and five you know and like we we've mentioned this before on the show that if this were to happen in the middle of a season where a team's having like a decent season and they lose five straight it's not as big of a deal it's still noticeable but you don't have a zero in the win column, right? You don't have a zero in the point column. It makes everything louder at the start of the season and you you can't get away from it and there's no escape. And I think that uh, the way that the Canadians handled this situation with Marc Bergevin coming out to do an impromptu press conference and and essentially saying like the answer's in the room, the players need to play better is I, I understand the gambit is like tell the players that they have what it takes to do this and turn the season around. But in the end, because he's done this several times before, to me, what I see when Mark Bergevin does that is him washing his hands of it and saying, I did my job, it's time for you to do yours. And I look at the roster construction, I'm like, you didn't do your job. You had years of knowledge where Shea Weber was clearly going to end his career due to injury. You've made zero effort to acquire a top four defenseman because everybody that you signed... Ben Sherratt, Joel Edmondson, uh, David Savard, those are depth guys. You like their style of play, I get it, but like, they're depth guys. Romanov has not turned into what they thought he was going to be, at least not yet. I don't see the skill level there necessary to get to that point, but maybe he'll surprise. But outside of Jeff Petrie, and I guess you could say Brett Kulak, like there's nobody really with a lot of skill on that back end, and Brett Kulak doesn't create a lot of offense.
0: Okay, but... Okay, to be a little bit more optimistic, didn't the St. Louis... Okay, there are 82 games played this season. Last year, there was not a lot. There was not a lot of opportunity to kind of, like, mess up. Didn't the St. Louis Blues, the year they won the Cup, lose, like, seven games, somebody punched somebody in the face, they got a dog, and then they won the Stanley Cup. <laughs>
1: got it happened, a dog.
0: Something happened, and then they're, like, winning the Cup. So, don't lose too much hope but they have to have a like all i'm saying is like they need a plan
1: yeah well and i think the issue with that is you look at that st louis blues roster and it was very clear that they were drastically underachieving right like they yeah. had a lot yeah. in that group and they didn't make yeah. very many roster changes that year that they won the cup they made a coaching change yeah and i don't think co- this organization is going to make a coaching change this year and yeah. i would say that it wouldn't be fair to whoever comes in to be the replacement coach this year anyway, because it's likely that Mark Bergevin moves on in the off season, whether it's to LA, as it's rumored, or the Canadians opt just to not re-sign him and go in a different route, that new GM is going to want a new coach, right? Or at least a coach of their choosing, even if it is Dom Ducharme. So it's like, they're kind of stuck unless you're going to make a roster move. Like other than that, you've got nothing that you can do. So you could replace an assistant coach again, but they just fired their power play coach last year. Alex Burroughs is also a new coach. The only guy that is a holdover is Luke Richardson who does the PK, and he's the guy who actually had them playing best in the playoffs last year when Tom Ducharm caught COVID and wasn't able to go to the games for two weeks. So it's they're stuck between a rock and a hard place, and I understand the idea of, like, get the players to figure it out, but I do think they need help, and maybe that comes with uh, Joel Edmondson coming back, but it was released it was either today or the early the day before that uh, his father is dealing with cancer so he's away dealing with that and you can't rush him back you know like he has to be able to have that time and the canadians were very clear that family comes first so it's unknown how long joel edmondson will be gone it's unknown how long carrie price will be gone there's no reinforcements that you can count on coming
2: yeah quickly just on, on that um is it just me or is the popular perception of Mark Bergerman and, I guess, to a lesser degree, Dominique Ducharme wildly fluctuated over the last like 18 months or so? Like, of
1: course, it, yeah. Whenever you it, go to the Stanley Cup final, right? Right. But
2: it just seemed like s-
1: the pendulum swung
2: so far in Bergerman's favor, like briefly, you know, when he was, you know, about two years ago, he was on the hot seat. Then, you know, the Canadians uh, achieved well above expectations of the playoffs. And all of a sudden, all of his moves are sort of seen in a different light. And now, I mean, again, like, I don't think anyone, I don't think even, like, the biggest uh, pessimist would expect the Canadians to start to five this year, but it just seems like the perception of this guy is all over the place. Like, you seem to, I don't want to switch your words, you seem to indicate that he may be headed elsewhere at the end of the season. Um, but, yeah, I can never really get sort of an internal read on what how he's seen within the organization and how he's seen um, among the
1: league. Yeah, it's weird, because he's he's been nominated for GM of the Year three times, right? In, the I think, nine years, he's been GM of the Canadians. I don't know how many of those were actually deserved, but Bergevin is a weird GM, because he does legitimately make some really excellent moves. Like, if you look at his trade history, it's pretty good. You know, uh, bringing in Phil Deneau and, uh, I think, uh, Matthias Norlander for uh, Dale Weiss and Thomas Fleischmann. A couple of years ago from the Blackhawks was an absolute steal. He acquired Jeff Petrie for a second round pick who's been like their top defenseman for the last five years and was one of their top defensemen before that, like he's made ridiculously excellent moves in the past, but it, there's like an internal block where they can't quite get over the hump or figure out exactly what they need to do. And for the first few years of Bergevin's tenure, it seemed to me that the plan would change pretty drastically every couple years or every year, even like they had the first year the Bergerman came in, they were way better than they thought they were going to be. They played a very up tempo, high octane offensive style and price was back there to save things when things went awry. Right. And then they faced the senators in the first round of the playoffs. They lost max patch ready to separate his shoulder. Brian Gionta's bicep came disconnected off his tendon or ligament. I forget which one is which that connects the muscle. I think it's tendon. <laughs> Somebody with a medical degree, correct me. Uh me. <laughs> lost... <laughs> yeah. Uh, they lost uh, Lars Eller in the first game. Carry Price tore his groin in the first game. Like it was just a litany of ridiculous injury luck, and then the Senators won, I think, in five games. And instead of recognizing that what happened probably wasn't gonna be repeated, the next year they just completely changed the system and went into like this hard shell defensive style. And they still made the playoffs, I think. I think they made the playoffs that year but they weren't nearly as strong and they kind of like went back and forth in the next year after that they went really heavy into like puck moving defensemen they brought in petrie they started uh, pushing nathan bolu back when he still had promise as like a puck moving guy they brought in uh, mark barbario who's like an underrated depth guy from i think the lightning and like then the next year after that it was like oh no we're going to shift to all defensive. like anytime something doesn't work the first time things flipped and then I just got a text from a friend of mine who's a doctor that says tendon. So I was right on my instinct. It was tendon. But uh, then when they finally settled in on what they wanted to do, it was this like really gritty, big, tough defensive defenseman. Like that's how you win in the playoffs. And then they just couldn't make the playoffs. But COVID happened and it allowed them to make the playoffs twice and overachieved both times. So now they're like completely locked into this idea, even though – both runs were probably not very likely you know i think they played pretty well against the penguins in the the full bubble playoffs but last year they really only fully dominated one of the four series that they played in and they relied heavily on Carey price being ridiculously brilliant that sounds about right that sounds <laughs> yeah. about right it you know,
0: i agree, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah so that's that's my take on why bergevin is so like the pendulum swings so far right because like <laughs> There's enough stuff there to point to, to say he's smart. He knows what he's doing. So anytime that they play well, they achieve something, people are like, okay, he knows what he's doing. This is good. Look at all these past things that he's done that are smart. And anytime yeah. the pendulum swings the other way, there's enough bad stuff that he's done and not enough philosophical, like old school mentality to point out and be like, this is why they're failing. And it's like, somehow both are true. And what, what I've been saying since like 2013 is he's a 50, 50 GM. Half his decisions are great and half are bad and very few are in the middle. And I I maintain that.
0: There's a lot of emotional response and I feel like there's some mis... Like, I don't know, sometimes I get that fans are fans and also a lot of times Kane's fans don't really make sense at all. But, like, with (laughs) the offer sheet, like, hearing some of the Habs fans just kind of, like, ride for Bergevin, like, to the death. And it's kind of like, I don't know, like what was he doing? Like, was he trying to prove a point? Like, cause obviously the hurricanes matched and they knew they were going to match from the second that happened. Like, I don't know. They, they thought Bergevin was really smart for that. And I'm just kind of like, why? <laughs> cause like, yeah. Uh...
1: I think it's like for that, I say he's smart because he identified a good player. Right. Yeah. Like, but the issue was that they drastically underestimated how far the hurricanes were going to go. To retain yeah. that player, so like if you're gonna make that offer, you better up that ante big time, right? And that's where the mistake yeah. was, and that's a total misread. I think they even went out into the press and called Dundon cheap, which I think was also a bad move because even if there was it's any hesitation,
0: Make <laughs> like, like, Dundon pay it more,
1: <laughs> yeah, pissing off billionaires is not the best idea to get them to do what you it's want.
0: Oh, kind of like I get, I don't know, I just feel like people defending Bergman for that. It's like Bergman could have done more research and seen that like the public perception of Dundon isn't exactly, I'm not saying Dundon's a good guy by any means. I am saying he's a billionaire and he's willing to spend on the ice to the cap. So that was a bad move. Like a GM should have had the foresight. And I'm not evaluating Bergevin by just that, but I'm saying like, it, it, like the emotional response on the other side, of that being like, oh, no, this is actually good, was really interesting to me.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, the whole dynamic is really interesting, and I think, like, we've... I don't want to beat it to death, but the way this game went is extremely funny, especially from a hurricane's perspective. Yeah. Like, it's like a movie. <laughs> it, it does. It's like a... I mean, not a, a Disney movie, but it does sound like a movie. Like, it, it's... It's it's hard to get around how ridiculous that is that Aho scored twice and Kokaniemi scored, and that was kind of the death knell... But yeah, the Canadians, they're a funny team. They uh, <laughs> they don't give you a lot to talk about in terms of what they're doing on the ice, uh, at least successfully right now. Eventually, they'll win a game. I, I do think that in the second half of this one, score effects were a, a part of it, right? The hurricane started to yeah. lay back a little bit. But Empty
0: now,
1: Yeah, and I, I do think that they played pretty decently the second half of the game. They just... They're a fragile, fragile team. And I, I've seen it asked a couple times here uh, in the comments on YouTube, people asking if Sarah can comment on the Hurricanes with D'Angelo. Sarah has already commented. She sure. wrote an article about it in The Athletic, and you can check that out. It was a very well-written article. So she's already said her piece on D'Angelo.
0: I'll say it again, though. I don't think they should have signed him. I think that's a mistake. I like, And it's not – I hate when people are like – oh, but he'll win and everybody will forget about it. Like, it's not about him winning. It's not about how many, like, bad people can score goals. And he hasn't done that yet, to be clear. But still, like, bad people can score goals and it's still not going to erase what they did. Like, I don't, that was a, I'm not saying Tom Dundon's a good guy. And I think him signing D'Angelo just showed he's, like, all for depreciating value. And that, I guess it's a good business move, but it's not a good morality move. And I'll stand by that.
1: Yeah. Both these teams had uh, questionable off seasons from that perspective. And I think one of the reasons maybe that the Hurricanes are leaning so heavily into the whole Canadians rivalry in social media is could take a little bit of t- attention away okay. from the whole D'Angelo situation.
0: Oh, 1000%. I agree with that. And sometimes, like, fans are seeing through that too and it's like it's tough because I know the social media people and they're good guys and they didn't sign (laughs) D'Angelo but it's like how do you mediate that I don't know maybe you don't go so hard at other people when you have done some things yourself you know
1: yeah people asking how much time do Bergman and Ducharme have I mean Bergerman's contract is up at the end of the year. He's not extended. That's pretty rare for a general manager. He said in a press conference yesterday that he wants to come back to Montreal. I don't know if he actually does. I think there's a very stressful job, uh, especially when you're not winning. And it's been a long time that he's been in charge. Maybe he's more interested in being like a hands-off, like president of hockey operations type thing, like Shanahan in Toronto and bringing somebody else in as GM. But like like we said on the last show, I think it behooves the organization if they realize that... uh, This isn't working, which clearly is not to make a change as early as possible. So the next person has the whole season to evaluate and identify what has to be done going forward instead of bringing somebody in like around the draft or something where it's just like fly by the seat of your pants, try to figure out the UFA situation right away. You don't have enough opportunity to make trades. I think if they're going to do that, they have to do it right away. And I just don't believe they will. I I think they're going to ride it out.
2: Yeah, the only counterpoint I have that I'm just looking it up is uh, it would be, what, their third head coach in, like, 18 months? So, (laughs) Well, I guess
1: if you count... Yeah, I mean, Ducharme just got in last year. It'd be less than a year, I would say, because the last season only started in January, right?
2: Right, so going from, like, Claude Julien, who, by the way, I mean, not to go totally backwards, I don't think he should got fired in the first place, to Ducharme to you know candidate x i mean yeah i mean i guess you don't stick with the guy just for that purpose but it would be it'd be a tough sell i would say
1: yeah it would be a very tough sell to replace the coach so quickly and the thing is though how long does a winless streak go before something breaks right like how long say that they lose against detroit who are another team that should be in lottery contention this year on saturday is that the the death knell is that something that forces a move like you have to think that at a certain point if they don't start to win that something will have to be done Uh, you look at their schedule so far this year it hasn't been that tough i mean the hurricanes are the best team they've faced they faced toronto which was a team that they beat last year in the playoffs obviously they're not the same team anymore (laughs) (laughs) just saying just saying and toronto hasn't been lights out to start the year right like they've been okay they haven't been amazing Yes. Like They faced Ottawa, non play no, that was the preseason, sorry. The Sabres, non-playoff team, lottery contender supposedly this year. Haven't looked like a lottery contender at all, to be fair. Uh, the Rangers, non-playoff team last year, maybe a playoff team this year. I'm not sure I believe it yet. The Sharks, terrible team last year. They've started hot. Like Detroit, not a good team. They've got Seattle coming up, an expansion team. Sharks again, who again are hot, but not a great team. LA non-playoff team last year at the Ducks, like their October is soft. It's butter soft, and they're still winless. Like at a certain point, you have to wonder what's the breaking point?
2: Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, it's not as if the Montreal Canadians have ever been prone to uh historically to making rapid head coaching changes after huge, you know, <laughs> seismic losses. We get a Patrick Wash situation on our hands. We need we need that. But.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people calling for Patrick Waugh. I I think that's a a very emotional reaction that isn't very uh, stuck in the facts. Although I I did have one person say to me after I was kind of running down Patrick Waugh's decision-making in Colorado that uh, apparently he was the guy in the Colorado Avalanche organization that pushed extremely hard for Nathan McKinnon. They were actually favoring Seth Jones in that draft year. So that's one thing for him. Patrick Waugh does enjoy skill. but he also seems to enjoy the face punchers, which is just not where the league is going.
0: The one thing I will say about Dundon is I respect him never uh, drafting a defenseman in the first round again. Uh, we overvalue defensemen, my
1: I mean, I don't think the Canadians do. They <laughs> don't seem to be bringing in very many good ones.
0: Well... <laughs> That's fair.
1: It's like everyone overvalues defensemen except for this one team who should probably value <laughs> them a little bit more. I mean, my, my idea for the Canadians is with the defensemen they've acquired and the, the depth they have on the wings is that as soon as they go down in a game, just like play four forwards in one D. Like push the envelope, do something creative, but this organization seems dead set against being creative. So what you going to do?
0: The age-old question.
1: old question. Age old. Absolutely. All right, uh, we have some more uh, viewer questions, and then we'll probably wrap it up on this one tonight. From our good friend moderating everything, Robert Malloy. It says, uh, "What's the most? Por- uh, what's the more frustrating part of this current slump? Uh, the media or the fans in the building?" I would say the fans are probably more frustrated. The, I don't. I don't get frustrated by the Canadians losing. It, it's like less to talk about, but there's still storylines. There's always storylines. What about you, Sarah? If, if the if the hurricanes are terrible, do you get frustrated?
0: Well, I always say I'd rather a team be really good or really bad because then there's something to talk about, right? Like right. you guys got to talk about, I keep, like we're here talking about this a lot. Um, a team being mediocre is really annoying, but I don't I don't care if the team. I, I hope there's a good story. That's all I hope.
1: Yeah, uh, Bobby says. What do you think about the booing towards Kokonami tonight, and is it warranted? No, it's not warranted. <laughs> I mean, if yeah. you're a twenty year old kid and you're offered six six point one million dollars and you think you're probably gonna get like two, I think you're gonna take the six point one million dollars.
0: Yeah. Come on, it was nothing personal. He's a sweetheart.
1: Also, they scratched him in the Stanley Cup final.
0: Yeah, like that was
1: come personal. on. Like there was definitely some level of frustration. Oh my god, Sportsnet's in the comments. What do you think the high record will be after ten games? (laughs) Ask Sportsnet, the official Sportsnet YouTube page. Uh, One and nine is gonna is gonna be what I'm gonna call for the first ten games. They'll win one in there. Yeah. Uh, Let's see what else we got there for a question. Who gets first? uh, Who gets yeeted first, Bergevin or Ducharme? I'm gonna go with Bergevin.
2: That's a tough one you know what he's sort of built like i mean often for worse especially in like what happened in summer a cult of personality around him so therefore i'm gonna say it's too sharp even though i think it should be versioned
1: yeah i've heard that there's like some level of friction between bergevin and molson i don't know how true that is keep that on the rumor side but it wouldn't surprise me given like maybe it's gone after last year in the run to the Stanley cup final but before that remember If it weren't for COVID, they would have missed the playoffs three straight years, right? And when you make a big trade to essentially win now, which they did when they moved for Shea Weber, and then you immediately go out in the first round and miss the playoffs three straight years, like that to me says it's very poor planning, very poor philosophy. You know, and I, I keep on coming back to that because I think there's enough talent on this team to be at least <laughs> mediocre, you know, but the way that they play is very old school and eventually that's going to bite you.
0: There are a lot of extenuating circumstances around this team, too, though, like maybe Price and Edmondson et L will come back and everything will be fine, but maybe this actually solidifies how good Price really is, because I know there's a lot of, is he overrated talk and stuff? Maybe, I mean, it's not Jake Allen's fault what's happening, but maybe Price really is that good. I don't know, Hot take.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the regular season, he hasn't been. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, I know. Maybe, oh, maybe uh, things.
0: Fans like me. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, maybe things change for Price after checking into the player assistance program. You know, maybe he needed some time off and yeah. this will get him right and we'll see the best price that we've seen in years uh, similar to what we saw in the playoffs it's possible you know even as he gets old and i say that as someone who's the same age and feels very old after going out last night and drinking with a couple friends and having Uh-oh. to take like a three hour nap this afternoon to sleep it off uh sports that asks were there any dang it's in this game sports the apps are a dang it you know this the whole team is a dang it this season Steve doesn't even have to do work for his videos. He can just show a Canadian's logo, no highlights, and you just <laughs> yell, dang it. Video done. All right. Is there anything else that you guys saw in the game that you wanted to chat about? I
0: think we covered it all.
1: Yeah.
2: I, yeah, nothing nothing crazy. It's always fun to watch hurricanes. I like watching Jacob Slavin quite a bit. Like I thought he had a really I think he I don't know. i mean, again I'll defer to Sarah Happley on this, but it seems like he has like a casual like brilliance about him. Like he just makes the right play all the time. You know, just a couple of simple breakouts. So, yeah, super fun watching the Hurricanes. Always, yeah. always a blast.
0: No, but- you're absolutely right. That's what Bear said, too, the other day. We were, I was kind of asking him, like, okay, we all watch Jacob Slavin, and we're like, wow, this guy seems like whatever. What's it like to actually play with him? And Bear was just like, it's incredible. Like, he does these all these little things you don't even think of. And it's just exact, like the casual, like, you don't even think to do that, and he's 10 steps ahead of you just thinking about it, like – another day at the office you're absolutely right
1: yeah to spread the pain around to a different canadian team watching ethan bear on the first pair after the oilers essentially
0: Mm. tossed
1: him aside is fantastic because that's another guy that the hurricanes acquired this season that or this offseason who is just a fantastic person everything i've heard about ethan bear tells me that he is like just awesome awesome person and a very very good hockey player and i'm really (laughs) excited for him to you know, blossom into the best player that he can be on Carolina's blue line.
0: Yeah, he's already got a few assists. Um, He, I love that Rod put him on the first line and then, like, instead of D'Angelo and put D'Angelo on power play one. But, like, I love the Bear and Slavin combination, I feel like, because Rod relies on Jacob to play, like, half the game. So I feel like they need somebody defensively sound and Bear is actually really good next to Slavin. So good for them.
1: Yeah, we got yeah, a question. Uh, last question. Are the Canadians going to trade for Jack Eichel? I, this is something that I called, I think, last show or the, the one before. I do think the Canadians are one of the teams that can trade for Jack Eichel. I think they should, because the trickle-down effect of having Eichel, Suzuki, Dvorak actually makes them a good team at the forward, on the side of the forwards. And he is a transformative player that the club definitely needs it wouldn't help this year because he still needs to get back surgery, but I think they should. And I, there's very few players in the organization that I would not trade for Jack Eichel. You just need to keep the three centers, right? And maybe you can move on Dvorak if you need to, if they need to make that part of the trade. But, you know, not Suzuki because you need to have the one-two punch. But uh, with that, I will thank my guests for coming on and we will wrap up here. But before I let you all go, uh, first Arun and then Sarah, tell us what you got going on this season and where we can find your work.
2: Uh, so I'm freelancing at a few different places. You can find me at Arun Things. Uh, I'll have something I can probably announce in the next like week or two. But an yeah, announcement. That, yeah, <laughs> very <laughs> SDP. Other than that, I'm just working on this book about the history of racism in hockey. That's not coming out for quite a while, but other than that, just be freelancing about hockey and other sports and, uh, yeah, again, you can find me on Twitter at ArunThings, so A-R-U-N-Things. It's me.
1: Awesome. Sarah?
0: I'm looking forward to reading your book whenever that comes out, but I am excited to be doing more national things this year. Um, I'm doing a bi-weekly style blog where I'm just kind of seeing, like, who has the best suits and outfits in the nhl and that's been a lot of fun and i'm also doing the athletic hockey show every wednesday so tune into that we got eddie lack um next wednesday so tune into that i'm excited about that
1: that's awesome and i know did dom actually make the list dom lucision for his fit did he post on instagram
0: you have to do like a christmas party athletic version of like the media members who dress well dom definitely dresses well but i can't give him that clout
1: no, not allowed. I was gonna say, if you did, you have to like take that out of there, or at least put it as like an honorable mention only. You can't get yeah. in the top ten. All right. <laughs> <No>. Thanks to <laughs> Sarah and Arun for joining me on this uh, show after yet another Canadian's loss. Maybe someday we'll talk about a win. We'll talk to you guys next game. I'll be back on Saturday.
2: <laughs> and actually, I
1: think Arun is gonna be back with us on Saturday. We're at, I should announce that that the uh, the next game is going to be double Arun, because my friend Arun Singh is coming on as well. So it's going to be Arun Singh and Arun Sirona So it's going to be very fun.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast.